You'll find our Bible reading this morning in the Gospel according to Matthew and chapter 17. It's page 984 in the Bibles that are provided in the church. We're going to read the first 13 verses of Matthew chapter 17 in chapter 16. The Lord Jesus Christ has shown himself in a remarkable way to his disciples and Peter has made this confession that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. We begin to read at Matthew 17 verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Because this is God's word, he says, listen to him. Sit down. Have you a wish that you could be one of those first disciples of the Lord Jesus? That you could have walked the same streets as he did? eat at the same table that he ate at and hear his tone of voice and recognize his profile in a crowd. Jesus, as a man among his friends, was truly a unique individual. He was fully human. He had lungs like us to breathe and muscles to move and hunger to feel. But he was much more. He was also fully God. He had authority to rule all creation, still the storms and the waves. 
He had authority to teach the truth with absolute assurance. He even had authority to raise the dead to life again. Jesus was truly God. Now Matthew 17 in the first 13 verses gives us in this incident a glimpse of how those three first disciples had that insight given to them that he is God in the flesh. That they were able to sense and to feel his awesome presence so that they fell down to the ground terrified at this revelation of who this man God really is. Now we're interested this morning in following Jesus means being prepared to listen to him. But in order to understand the background to that, we must first of all look at the fact that following Jesus means being aware that he is God. It's only because he is God that we ought to listen to him in this special way. And so we're having a a few moments to look at this story of the transfiguration, how the disciples here, they see Jesus in a new way. They see, in fact, a special body that they hadn't seen before. We're told in the first verses that the, uh, the Lord Jesus took these three disciples, Peter, James and John, up to a high mountain. And then this brief but remarkable phrase is used. There he was transfigured before them. Now what exactly does that mean, transfigured? The, the word used in the New Testament is the same word from which we get the term metamorphosis. Now I apologise to any biology teachers that are here, but um, somehow in the back of my mind there's a, there's a story about caterpillars and butterflies and about the fact that um, uh, caterpillars are the same nature but they somehow change into a different body and become a butterfly. And we use that word metamorphosis for it. Well, here is Jesus, a man, and yet his body is somehow changing in a way that his form is different. Look at what we're told about it. We're told that his face shines like the sun. We're told that his clothes become as white as the light. It's as if inside the clothes the body is shining out and the clothes become luminescent with the very brightness of his character. This is something they hadn't seen before. Peter later writes about it and he says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They see in this man now the majesty of God. We told that there was a bright cloud that enveloped them. The cloud isn't to be thought of as dirty mist. This is the kind of cloud that in the Old Testament is used as a sign that God is here. The cloud of God on the mountain. This is God saying, here is someone special that you should be looking at. We won't have time this morning to expand on the significance of Moses and Elijah being there. These are representing the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. 
But uh, what is significant, if you look at the end of verse 8, is that, that when Jesus has spoken to them about Moses and, and Elijah, they look up and they see no one except Jesus. You see, this is all there, not to talk about the others, but to talk about who he is. This unique man, God. To see no one except Jesus is probably what we ought to be doing when we come together Sunday by Sunday. It's certainly one of the reasons why shall we be sitting at this table in a few moments' time. We want to see no one except Jesus. We don't want to see each other primarily, good though it is to meet you again this morning. We're here to meet Jesus. And these men saw Jesus in this new way. But then they also heard a special voice, didn't they? Verse 5, while Peter is speaking, the bright cloud envelops them and a voice comes from the cloud. And the voice says something that they had actually heard before. These words, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, they'd heard that before. When Jesus was baptised, they heard this voice testifying to who Jesus is. We know that, uh, as we saw in chapter 16, Peter had had some recognition that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Peter is so impressed with this, it's an unforgettable experience for him. If you've got your Bible, turn to, to Peter's second letter, will you? To Peter, in chapter 1, page 1222. Peter is facing the challenge of explaining to people what the Bible is all about. And in 2 Peter 1.16 he says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. The voice is saying, this is not just a special person. This is the son of God. Sharing the nature of God. Now it took the early Christians more than 300 years to work out how they could express that mystery in their own language. They ended up using a word which we still use the word, although we don't really understand what it means. We use the word Trinity to say that there are three persons but only one God. The significance of it for here is that the Father is saying, this is my Son, he is fully God. He is the one who is well beloved. Now, I said at the beginning, we sometimes wish we could have been there and seen all of this. But you know, we have an even better proof of who Jesus is than they had at that time. An even better proof. Turn, will you, to the beginning of the letter to the Romans. This is page 1128. Paul is introducing in Romans chapter 1, this glorious gospel he's thrilled about, he's going to write to them about. And he's talking about 
the Son of God. As to his human nature, Romans 1.3, as to his human nature, he was a descendant of David. And through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. We didn't see this transfigured body or hear that voice from heaven but we know that Jesus was raised from the dead. We know that this was the sign that shows that he could do what no other man could do that all defies what the scientists can tell us about the limitations of human nature. He is the one who was raised from the dead. This affirms that he truly is the Son of God. Now over the centuries thousands and thousands of people have met with him know that he is alive because this Jesus though he died on the cross and bore our punishment that we deserved was raised from the dead declaring the validity of his claims to be the son of God and at the centre of all Christian experience is this fact that we do not worship a mere man a good teacher a prophet amongst others but God in human form. Can I just stop before I go any further and say, is that really a central plank in your faith on which you're resting your hope today? That we're not here talking about an ordinary man or even an exceptional man. We're talking about the man who is God. And following Jesus means being aware that he is God. But that's why, if you look now at Matthew 17 and verse 5, that's why the Father says, This is my Son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's because of who he is that we are to listen to him. That his words are God's words. The title that John gives to Jesus when he writes the account of the gospel is the word of God. And Jesus makes a claim no less than that in John's gospel and chapter 12. This is what we read in verses 49 and 50. Jesus says, I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. Whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. What Jesus said has the same authority as that voice from the cloud. Jesus tells us the truth about who God is. He tells us he is the eternal one. He is the creator of all things that are. He is the Lord of heaven and earth and history. He is the judge of all men to whom we must answer. Jesus tells us the truth about ourselves. The fact that though we were made in his image and made to serve and worship him, sin has marred that image and spoiled our lives so that we are rebels instead of servants and we are helpless and unable to save ourselves no man comes to the Father Jesus said 
except through me. And Jesus affirms this glorious gospel. He says, I came to die to take your punishment. I came to be a ransom for many. It's Jesus who says, there is in the gospel of resurrection a hope for all. And the free offer of the gospel this morning, that it's, the, it's the truth of Jesus Christ when he stands before men and he says, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. It's because of who he is that his words have such authority. Now in this mad world in which we live, no voice can be more important to us than that. Technology has opened to us a whole range of different ways of people speaking to us. Some of you will understand the mysteries of something called Skype. If you don't know what Skype is, don't worry about it, it won't do you any harm. But if you do know what it is, it can do you a lot of good. You can talk to people in ways you couldn't talk to them before. The mobile phone, the internet, and all the other things in which we can, we can hear many voices. But what are these voices saying to us? Half the people who try to phone me up want to sell me something. People want to interrupt what I'm doing. People want to dissuade me from doing this and persuade me to do that. Even my friends can be a distraction when they want to talk to me. And the devil uses these things, doesn't he? The devil confuses people about all these things. But the one voice that matters is the voice of Jesus. And just as it it's no loss to us that we weren't there to see the transfiguration. It's no loss to us that we don't actually hear the words of Jesus in our ears now because we do have the word of God written in the Bible. <coughs> in John's Gospel, right at the end, there's an incident which we're all familiar with about this man, Thomas. And Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This unique book written by men whose writings were inspired by God is nothing less than God speaking today. It's able to make you wise to salvation, Paul writes. It's so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's readily available to us, translated into our language, available to us to read day by day. So if we want to listen to Jesus, we don't go up into a field on a mountainside and look and hope. We open the Bible and say, what's God saying to us? Reading the Bible for ourselves is an invaluable experience. Do some of you know about the Explore Bible study notes? More and more people are telling me how much they value these. And we can obtain these for you. If you haven't seen them, I'll leave this one for you to have a look at. Reading the Bible for ourselves is a very valuable way. But I'm not here to talk about that this morning. I want to talk this morning about listening to God when the word is preached to us. Because that's something which we can do regularly, frequently. And we can do exactly what this text said. Know who he is 
and listen to him. But preaching isn't easy and listening to preaching isn't easy. Jesus once told a story about the word of God reaching people using the picture of somebody sowing seed. And he spoke about different kinds of listening. And at the end of that story, he said to his disciples, consider carefully how you listen. We're going to look at the how of listening to preaching now. And there are four steps which are on this paper, two on one side and two on the other side. Take it in, think it through, pray it home, and live it out. Take it in, think it through, pray it home, and live it out. How do we take in what we hear preached to us? Well, one of the first things is to remember what we've already seen this morning, that it's a message from the Lord. It's not a man speaking to us, it's God speaking to us. The person who is preaching has asked God what to say today. And although we have all the Bible in front of us, we say, this is God speaking today what he wants me to hear. It's speaking to a soul in need. We're not just numbers. We're people that God knows and he loves us. And one of the wonderful things about preaching God's word is that God can take the same message and apply it to each one in a different way. It's a miracle. God's word is a love letter from Christ. Can you remember when you used to receive love letters and not texts? A love letter from Christ is precious. It's something to be cherished. So we've got to prepare. We've got to prepare by praying about it. It's God the Holy Spirit who inspired the writing of the Bible and he's the only one who can help us to understand it. So we've got to pray for the preacher that he has a proper understanding of the Bible to pass on to us. If you were here last Sunday night, we were looking are praying for the preacher. And we were thinking then about the importance of the fact that he needs courage to preach the things we don't necessarily want to hear, but he needs the right words and the right tone so that we have the right balance. And we need God to help him to do that. We should be praying for ourselves so that we can be alert enough to listen. There's all the difference between hearing and listening, isn't there? There are people who hear the voice but don't listen to what's being said at all. Because it's God's word, we should be asking God to speak to us. So we should pray before we come. Can I make you all feel guilty? How many of you prayed this morning for the preaching of the God's word you were going to hear when you got to church? When we come into the building... Do we greet other people or as we come in do we say, Lord I want to meet you here this morning. When you see the preacher coming to stand up, he's not always the same man. When you hear the preacher standing up, do you say Lord help him to speak to me this morning. If we're going to take it in, we need spiritual help and that's why we ask God to do it. 
The next thing is we must focus on the text that is in the Bible. We must see all that the preaching is about in the light of the text. Now it says here, if the message is poor, the text never is. Sometimes the message is poor. Not all preaching is dynamic and relevant. Not all the preaching we hear, even from good friends of ours, is on the ball. Because we're human beings and we don't always get it right, and we don't always have time to do things properly, but the text is always pure gold. It's the text that's God's word. And even if the preaching may not be up to much, you can go home and you can say, this was the text this morning, what does it really mean? How is that going to apply to me? Focus on the text of God's word. It's all God's precious truth. And listen out for the mention of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to listen to him. All the Bible is about Jesus. Especially when the preaching is from the Old Testament, you should say, where is Jesus here? How does he get that to fix my mind and my heart on the Lord Jesus Christ? Anything like half-decent preaching must find Jesus in every part of the Bible so that we come listening to him, getting an appetite for the bread of life. (laughs) Taking it in is something we should be doing. Then the next thing is thinking it through. We need to concentrate on preaching. Especially because not all preaching is dynamic. is always going to hit you between the eyes. We need to concentrate. We need to say, what is this going to mean to me? It's got to reach my heart through my mind. That's how the truth does reach our heart through our mind. And the devil is a past master of coming to church. He's here every Sunday and he will do all he can to break your concentration. The weather, the people, the clothes, the conversations, all kinds of things can be there to deflect our attention from what God is saying to us. So we need to concentrate and think about what we're hearing. Now I've written down here a few questions you should be asking. Ask yourself these questions in your mind when you're here. What is there new here? for me to learn. By nature, our minds are blind and dark. There's more we don't know than what we do know. So we should be saying, what is there new here for me to learn about God and the Lord Jesus Christ? And if we can get one fresh crumb, it's better than leaving the whole loaf there and getting ourselves indigestion. I was telling our friends at Cornerstone the other day about a, a church where I served in Hampshire, we had a lovely friend in that church who was a dustman, Derek. And uh, uh, Derek would sit in the congregation like all the other people and we had lots of students there because there was a, a university college there and people used to come with their notebooks and write it all down like students do. And Derek said to me one day, he said, I don't get anything like all these other people get out of it. But he said, if I get one thing from the service, he said, I, I switch off after that. He said, it may not always be the preaching, it may be a verse of a hymn, or it may be something said in a prayer, but he said, I can't take all of that in, but I do want to take something away with me. God bless the Derricks of this world, who will take one thing and say, I want to take that home. Something new to learn and to digest. Then how does it fit into what I already know? Is it going to add to what I know? Is it going to correct what I thought I knew? Is it going to be confirmed by other scriptures? The Bible is a harmony 
That's why from time to time the preacher will say, let's look at this verse in another book of the Bible and see how it's saying the same thing. So that we can see God's word as a rounded body of truth which is built up by hearing preaching. And then the question, the important question, what difference will it make to my practical life? Preaching aims to change us. We are not here to learn, we are here to be changed. We are here to be different people because God's word is there to reach our hearts and to be lived out in our lives. Is there a promise here that I can believe to help me? Is there a command I've got to obey? Is there a sin that I've got to forsake? Thinking it through means asking these questions. If it helps you, do take notes. There's nothing to be ashamed of in taking notes, but please don't go home with a full notepad and an empty heart. We need to be, first of all, saying, how can I think it through in its application to me? Turn over your page now. We're on the back. Pray at home. During the message, we should be thanking God for what he's saying to us. Listening is an attitude of prayer. If the going is hard, we should pray on. If the room is uncomfortable, we should pray that we may put that at the back of our minds. If we're tired, we should pray. If the preacher is struggling, we shouldn't write him off, we should be praying for him. By helping him, you're helping yourself. We should seek all the time long-lasting benefit. We should be asking God for the grace to hear and to use what he's saying to us. You know, in that parable of the sower, Jesus talks about some seed that falls on the pathway. You know what happens to that? The birds come and take it away. And Jesus says, that's the devil plucking the message away from you. So before you get in the car, to go home. You've forgotten what the preaching is all about. We should seek long-lasting benefit. We should be praying for other people too as part of the body. It may not be the message that you need today, but it may be just the message that somebody else next to you needs today. We should be praying corporately that God would build up the body. Lasting benefit to us. We should pray over it afterwards. The sermon may lead to questions of understanding. Where did he get that from? Have you ever heard that question about sermon? Well, think about it afterwards. Whilst it's fresh in your mind, talk to other people. Talk to your family. Have the preacher for lunch. Go over what he's been saying by talking about it. <laughs> Ask him afterwards. He'll be very glad to talk to you about it. Ask the Lord to fix it on your heart. And last of all, live it out. You see, this is the shortest section that I put on the paper because this is not my job. This is, this is what we have to do. I like the story which I've noted here about a, a Scottish visitor, the Kirk Dorr, who asked the deacon, is the sermon done? No, said the deacon, he's just finished the preaching. It's for us to be doing it now. Bible says, do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. That means 
but the doing of it is the hardest part and that's something without which it's no use listening must lead to doing